Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church. A happy Thanksgiving weekend, especially to those of you who are listening today from the States. We're leading into Thanksgiving here tomorrow. And here on the show, we got like a, like a Walton's reunion going on or something like that today. There's like literally six of us in the studio. My name's Dave Gadini here with my son, Ben Gadini, here with Steve Wells and his daughter, Maya Wells, here with Paul Wells, here with Matt Palka, and not as Matt, always, not Matt Wells, no, not Matt, Matt Wells, no, <laughs> not, not Matt Wells. <laughs> One of these things is not We're like the other. We're just walking the street, like, hey, you want to go on the show? Right? People kind of join us on the show. And a big shout out to Kent Jones producing. And only Kent gives himself the applause. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look, this show is all about asking the questions you have about God and spirituality and Christianity and the Bible and how it compares to other belief systems and religion, especially the questions you're afraid to ask, maybe embarrassed to ask, afraid that you're going to be judged to ask. Maybe you have been judged for asking them. Maybe you've asked them before and never feel like you've really gotten a good answer, a clear answer, or an honest answer. What, was, uh, what we're all about here is taking your questions, whatever they might be, the simple ones, the complex ones, the crazy ones, the straightforward ones. Do our best job to help you on your spiritual journey and uh, speak into what you're uh, thinking about today. Pretty easy. You can text in at any time, not just during our show, but any time to 815-314-0363. Give you that again. It's 815-314-0363. If you're joining us on Facebook, you can post your questions right there in the comments. Big shout out to all of our listeners at 216 The Net and all affiliates. What are the Thanksgiving plans, guys? Well, <clears throat> my wife, my and Paul's mom, is going to attempt to make a turkey this year. And I'm helping her. And she's helping. Hey. And neither of us can really cook. <clears throat> she's never done it before, which is weird, isn't it? Like in all of Barbie's 33 years of life. I, I respect that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's going to make it. And I, I have this vision in my head that, you know, Christmas vacation, right? When he goes to cut into the Christmas turkey and then it just goes. <laughs> and it kind of deflates. Makes itself. a wailing sound kind of. As yeah. Well. And then we all hop in the car and we're going to Arby's. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And you're going to help. Yeah. You're going to help Maya, right? Okay. So, Definitely. hey, way to go. Way to go. Now, Paul, um, those of you who are listening here, Paul is our uh, brother from Uganda here in the States going to school. Um, you've been here two years, so you've done the Thanksgiving thing before mm -hmm. here stateside, yeah. right? Uh, do you like turkey or is it like this is like the most overrated? Yeah, I like meat. all the food for, you know, for Thanksgiving. All, oh, wait, seriously, yeah. like all the food? Uh-huh. All the food. <laughs> like actually, yeah, all the food. Okay, because okay, they're going to hold you that tomorrow. Yeah. yeah we'll see. All right, all right. <laughs> Real, realistically, he's the only reason we're making a turkey. Uh, uh, yeah. Otherwise, it was pizza. Well, otherwise, we just probably wouldn't eat a turkey. Yeah. We'd have all the other things. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I get that. What are you guys making? I'm not making anything. So, yeah, I'm uh, going to eat and be merry. So now I see where you're, you have a very giving side of the family, and then you have a very selfish side of the family. Absolutely. If anything, Absolutely. we're giving because it means there's less leftovers that people have to deal with. Yeah. Okay. However you want to. Well, yeah, thanks. <laughs> We have ducks. You can feed yeah, we could feed them the turkey. Do they yeah. eat turkey? I don't know. We're not going to do that. <laughs> Is that, that that's, that's a little weird to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here, have your brother. <laughs> so I was, uh, um, this sounds made up, but I was chopping firewood this morning. We got a fireplace and the weather's finally nice up here again. And I walked out of the shed with the duck, uh, I walked out of the shed with the ax and the look mm. on those ducks' faces. It's like, <laughs> I have no idea why they'd have any frame of reference on an ax. 
But I tell you, like the whole demeanor changed, like right there on the spot. They all kind of walked slowly. In the <laughs> and it is of like coming to yeah. Thanksgiving, like that's tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, kind of sharpened it in front of them, you know. Well, we've got yeah, Kent. Kent uh, going to the Dells. You go to the oh, that sounds horrible. Yeah, no, it's a blast. We've been doing it yeah? for 22 years. We get a big uh, condo, her family, sisters, the whole world. All right, I love it. So, so what do you do in the Dell? Like hardcore water park in it? Or? We go sit in people soup. Is <laughs> mm. like half of Chicago in the Dell? Yeah, they're really, it's always very busy, yeah. So it's, yeah, you go and you do the water slides and sit in the hot tub with strangers. Indoors. Yeah, indoors. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But... I tend to stay. There's more room outside. <laughs> I tend to I tend to stay in the condo and watch football. Okay. Yeah, that actually does sound pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what do you got going on? Um, we're having a few people over, which we normally do. Is a few like forty five, or is no, a few like two? It's like less than ten. <laughs> okay. And okay. then Vicky and I practice marital bliss. I do all the cooking. <laughs> I don't want to know um, about yeah, your marital voice I was, practice. I was, I was hoping you are going to say cooking. <laughs> I do all the cooking and the stuffing and everything else, and I do that outside. Oh, okay. She has the kitchen. We don't get in each other's way. Yeah, it, right. It's, and, and it's been a happy marriage ever <laughs> since, right? Yeah. It's a new way of yeah. saying that. Anyway. Yeah. Well, we've got a, we've got a jam-packed inbox here. Ben, yes. take it away. Ben Andrew. Ben, ben Andrew. Andrew, yeah, yeah. Hence, wearing hence the, the hat, the ceremonial hat. Yes, Ben yes. Andrew. You always need the hat. All right. So I think in the spirit of Thanksgiving, hopefully, being children of God, we'll be praying with our families. Uh, this person says, "Being raised Catholic, I was taught we can pray to others like saints to intercede for us. What does the Lutheran Church teach about interceding, and do angels intercede for us with our prayers to God?" Yeah, great question, especially. Um, Honestly, when like one of every three people in the United States is Catholic, so this is a pretty uh, pervasive one. Matt, I think you were actually yep. born and raised Catholic, right? Yes. Was that a regular practice in your worship life and your personal life? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you have a long list of saints you can pray you can pray to, and depending on what you were praying about, you would pray to this saint for that, and you pray to this saint for that. So topical yes. saints. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, yeah. Catholics practice this very openly, very straightforwardly, and say it's a good thing, thing to do. Protestants will come down on any level uh, of positions on a spectrum, mm -hmm. um, but typically Protestants have distanced themselves from it. Uh, it is kind of fascinating. The question asks in relation to the Lutheran Church and Lutheranism. You're not going to really find a Lutheran church you're going to walk into where you're going to see them praying to saints as part of their worship or advocating it or anything like that. But if you do read Lutheran confessional documents, they kind of leave it as an open-ended question. Mm -hmm. If you kind of like to geek out on this, you can check out what's called the Formula of Concord. Look at the epitome, and it's in, I think, Chapter 3 or Section 3 or something like that. And it's, it's, it's a number of reactions that these early Lutherans are making against what they saw as Catholic abuses uh, and, and distortions in Christianity. And they go, okay, we can see the argument at one level. And I'll, I'll circle back to that argument momentarily. But their position was because the abuse of it seemed so high, better not to do it and better to fast for it because it seemed, at least in the 16th century, that the prayers to the saints were becoming not asking the saints to intercede for you as much as calling on them directly to do things for you and really crossing that, that line into idolatry. Um, but a good Catholic will come back and, and kind of 
pose this question going, do you ever ask people to pray for you? Most people are going to go, sure. And if you think about the Apostles' Creed, there's this line that talks about the communion of the saints, which is this, this kind of oneness or connection that exists between all believers, living and dead. And the idea that angels and believers in heaven might be there offering prayers on people's behalf. They'll quote Revelation chapter 5 a lot of times. I'll just read it. It says, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So to what degree in heaven, um, the prayers and, uh, or rather angels and uh, believers who have gone to be with the Lord are as part of their worship life, engaging in intercession on our behalf. I don't know. We're quoting revelation here. It's a pretty symbolic book, but uh, hopefully that helps steer you through the conversation a little bit. And uh, I I would just kind of put one caveat, wherever you fall on this, Catholics do not pray to saints or shouldn't by Catholic theology. They're asking saints to pray for them. And if you are praying to saints, you are praying to the wrong person. Pray to God, Catholic or Protestant alike. All right. So then in the same spirit, a lot of Catholics pray, at least from my understanding, to Mary. Is it more of a treating Mary as a saint type thing? Or is it genuinely, I don't want to say worshiping Mary, but holding her with some sort of reverence and yeah. This is the difficulty in any church or belief system there's what's supposed to be, and then there's the trickle-down effect to how people kind of absorb it, practice it, and distort it. Mm-hmm. And this happens in every single church body. Mm-hmm. So if you read Catholic theology or talk to Catholic theologians, they go, no, we don't worship Mary. No, you're not supposed to pray to Mary. No, we don't view Mary as being equal with God or anything like that. But in the practice of it, there's often a lot of people who have been a part of Catholic churches right. that she's she's do that. she's held at a high esteem I would say even higher than the saints mm-hmm. it's not unusual especially if you go into an older Catholic church where they have statues and everything you're gonna have the statue of Jesus and then over here you'll have the statue of Mary hmm. so the most famous prayer to Mary is literally called the hail, hail Mary, hail Mary yeah. full of and grace. yeah hail Mary full of grace the Lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb Jesus Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now in the hour of our death. Unpack it. So it's treating her like a saint. Pray for us, not we're praying to. You're literally literally going like, like, hail a cab, hail Mary. Hey, Mary. Mary. (laughs) Yeah, I can't whistle. Who can whistle? Someone whistle for me. (laughs) You know, I mean, but that's kind of literally what the prayer's kind of doing at a crass level. And you're going, Mary, pray for us. That's what it's supposed to be, but sadly it gets distorted where it often becomes Mary is the source, or Mary is like, oh, I got the special in with God now, or Mary mm-hmm. is the one who's going to kind of like butter up Jesus for me, or Mary who's going to, you know, yeah. it, it gets yeah. twisted, unfortunately, in ways it's not supposed to, um, regardless of whether at the base level it's mm-hmm. okay or not. So then you have the rosary, too. So, Matt, you have probably said that a number of times in your life. How many times do you think you've said it, man? I, I, I want to know this. Okay. Yeah. At least um, four? No, more than that. <laughs> Can you yeah. say it for us right now? No. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, what it is is a series of beads. Yeah, yeah. So what does that mean? You, what are the beads for? 
you're, you, you have to count each bead, and in each bead, you're either saying um, the Our Father or the Hail Mary, and you have to go around the whole rosary. And then the, the church or where I was raised at, when you got to the cross, you did the creed. Okay. Mm. But then there's like 40 or 50 beads mm. on this thing. So uh, to, to me, it's more of a more of a devotional, quiet time. Yeah, prayer tool. Mm-hmm. The time that it takes right. to get through it Rather than forces you to rattling through spend the, that time. A Lord's Prayer. And so, okay, I'm done. Next right. thing, you know, yeah. let's go get some coffee. So, or something. so you repeat the Lord's Prayer several times during this? Yes. And, I, and it's Every kind of like, does that become annoying to God? Like, hey, mom, hey, mom, <laughs> hey, mom, hey, mom. Hey, for the love of me, <laughs> stop already. <laughs> Taking Jesus literally when he says, wear God down by your prayer, you know? <laughs> so when you had your first communion, which is usually like second grade, yeah. when you're Catholic, yeah. you get your, your hymnal book, and in the hymnal books, your first rosary. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Is it like one of those cool books, like where you open it and it's hollowed out and it fits in like a secret compartment? No, it's a little zippy like thing a prison thing. Because oh, okay. wouldn't that, that be cool be, yeah. if it was and like most three year olds? After three times, they pull it out and they break it because mm. you know, yeah, sure, mm-hmm. sure. You know, second graders. So. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. In in Uganda, actually, too, they. So I used to go to a Catholic church for a long time because I went to a Catholic school when I was little. Mm. But so. They, so we had the big church, like where everyone went, and then <laughs> eventually they also built like a tiny church that was basically just Mary, like just stuff in there, like statues and everything. And so they would have a mass every single first Wednesday of the month hmm. just in that church. And it just kind of felt like a ritual of some kind, you know, more than really kind of going to worship. But I think hmm. it just kind of like doing that, it just kind of ends up being like a, a ritual more than just really worshiping God in that sense. Something that you have to do mm-hmm. versus yeah. probably wanting to do. Or just, uh, you know, and we've all seen the danger of this, no matter what church. I mean, I've fallen into this a lot where, yeah, just this is just what we do on Sunday. Like you're on autopilot, you know it so well. Mm-hmm. There's no thought investment, no hard investment, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's danger. I, mean, I have wondered, though, day. like when you see, like we had neighbors in Nebraska across the street from us that had the Statue of Mary. But it was so little. Like, if you're going to have a statue of Mary, then at least a life-size one. But it's like this tiny little Mary that's usually like on something of a bird bath. You know? Yeah, like, right, right. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know if, they, if that comes with Steve's it or what. has got the 18-footer, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the birds come around like, excuse me, I just need a drink. <laughs> got a second-floor bedroom. You look out the window. Like, somehow the like, birds are drinking right holy water because Mary's sitting there in the water. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I don't want to offend the Catholics listening, but it's All weird. Right. <laughs> okay, so I think we're going to stay on the same kind of saint trend. Uh, so as many of us might know, Peter was crucified upside down. Uh, and so the question says, do you think Peter's reason for being crucified upside down, and in parentheses not being worthy, reflected any insecurity in the power of Christ's redemptive death on the cross for himself? Do you think he was still lingering on to a sin of denial of Jesus? All right, so as I'm kind of hearing this, what I'm hearing is a question going, because Jesus, or rather because Peter denied Jesus, mm-hmm. did that bother him all the way basically to his execution in the grave? And did he want to do it in some other way when they said to crucify, when they commanded him to be crucified because mm-hmm. he didn't think it counted for him? Is, is, is that what you're getting from the sense of this? That's kind of what I'm getting, almost a... Okay. 
I still don't deserve Christ's forgiveness because of what I've done. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Thanks so much for asking. And um, that Peter didn't. Yeah. Okay. And I'll tell you this right now. Peter didn't deserve Christ's forgiveness. No one deserves Christ's forgiveness. That's the absolute point of it all is that forgiveness is given freely, despite the fact that we don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. Um, as to whether Peter was crucified upside down for that reason, I don't think so. And here's the reason why. The tradition behind Peter being crucified upside down roots, I believe, in Eusebius, who was a, uh, a church historian in the fourth century, <clears throat> basically writing a church history that goes all the way back to the time of the apostles. And it's kind of fun to read, actually, because you get all these traditions like where these people ended up, like Thomas is out in India and Bartholomew went out here and this guy got sawed in half. And I mean, if you like that kind of stuff, um, which I kind of do, mm-hmm. it's fun to read. And the tradition is that, that Peter was finally arrested under the Emperor Nero. He was executed in Rome. But as Eusebius puts it, he felt himself so unworthy to be killed in the same way as Christ that he asked to be hung upside down on a cross as opposed to the kind of normal way about it. Now, whether it's true or not, who knows? But that's at least the tradition. But I don't think you can tie that to him feeling insecure about his forgiveness because you see a radical change in everything you see written about Peter after Jesus' resurrection. As soon as Jesus is raised, I mean, Peter's going headlong into any kind of persecution, you name it, boldly proclaiming the forgiveness that he himself experienced to other people. So it would seem kind of incongruous Mm -hmm. with the whole pattern of his life. Since Jesus, I think it's better to attribute it to wanting to humble himself so much before Christ that it was a gesture of showing that kind of fidelity, loyalty, mm-hmm. honoring of Christ, even in his own death, which is kind of rock on, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so let me go to the comments real quick because Ramit's back with us. Hey, Ramit, all right, seen, man. We haven't heard Good from you online. He says, in, in the in Bible, Jesus says, in Gita, Krishna says, in Quran, Allah says, I am the creator. I am the destroyer. Engage with yourself with me. The true motto of every religion is to show us the way, the respective ways to engage with him, God. So I'm going to assume that what you're saying, Ramit, is that it's the same God. Every religion has the same God. Is, I think, what he's saying. Is that what you're getting Yeah, from? yeah. I think that's kind of what I'm reading by this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's kind of two ways I'd like to comment on this for me. And thank you so much for uh, not only tuning in, but um, posting the comment here today. Um, I, I believe that there is one God. And regardless of what people say about him, believe about him personally, write about him or whatever else, God is God and nothing we do changes the reality of who he is. And I think there is a certain level of commonality you'll see between different religions on who God is and what he's like and and what he does. Um, Absolutely. But I think it's a disservice to every religion to say that it's all the same because I think any any real study of any sacred text of any religion or the, the belief system of any religion shows pretty quickly that there are some different ideas. And sometimes those different ideas are, you know, harmonious, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes they say very contradictory things about God. 
And I suppose you can adopt an attitude that says, well, the contradictions we see now will be solved when we get there and we're all discovering the right thing. I think it's better to say, I think some of us got it right and some of us got it wrong. Um, and I think all of us need to stay open and humble, Christians especially, uh, about ways that we might get too overconfident in things we say about God. But at the end of the day, um, being a Christian means that we believe Jesus is the clearest picture and manifestation of who God is, that you don't see God clearer, no God any cleaner than you do in Jesus. And so that's why we model our, at least try to, our thinking, our life, our beliefs off what he teaches, what he said, what he did, what he was like, and where that may flow with other things. Well, hey, awesome. But where it comes up contradictory we choose a loyalty to Christ as being the truth about it, as opposed to something that's false. Mm -hmm. So thanks, man. And uh, please continue the conversation if you'd like. I, uh, hopefully we're kind of hitting your, your, your question, your comments spot on. Um, let's go back to the well, inbox. Or yeah, you let, let me add one Steve, more thing to that, it. because I think in all three of these, in the ones that you've listed, you know, we have the Quran, we have the Bible. They're not the same. So to say that it's the same God when clearly each of them don't point to the same God, then I don't think it's the same God. So even the literature that that each of those gods, plural, if you're going to use that, doesn't point back to that in what you're actually reading to learn about God. Yeah. So it kind of disproves itself right there anyway. So it's kind of like That's looking it. at your perception of what God is, not necessarily what God is. Yeah, and I would be very careful too because it, it, this is an eternal eternal thing, and so. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, have I ever been wrong with something? Absolutely. So therefore I there was that one time, Steve. Yeah, just that one time. You remember it well and you call me on it all the time. You know? Barbie has Barbie been have all the <laughs> But it would be wise that if, if it's stated that these books are, that it's all serving one pointing towards the same God, then I would probably, if that is your belief, then definitely take the time to study all of those books that you're comparing to make sure that that's the case. Because literally, your eternity is based on that. Yeah. That's all I got to say. Yeah. yeah. I had a friend who kind of believed that, you know, like the Buddhist, the, you know, every single religion out there, they had their own heaven, some kind of thing like that. And it's like, that kind of confuses things because it's like, then it's like, do you really believe that there's one God when like, it's, it could be like, there's just so many gods now, you know, it can't be one. It can't. It can't match up in any kind of way because once you believe there's heaven for this kind of religion, there's heaven for this kind of religion, then it's like it just kind of contradicts itself in the sense that it's not really pointing to one thing, you know. Mm -hmm. I just don't, I don't know. I don't think it really lines up with the, you know, Quran and the Bible. It just does not. I, I think it's really easy to make God in our own image mm -hmm. very early in the Hebrew Bible talks about God making us and him, his image and, and idolatry. I think at its core root is us just recasting God on our own. Who, who do I want God to be? What do I want him to be like? How do I want to picture him? And, and, and we all want that in certain ways. And, and it's really easy to kind of latch on to one thing that could be true, or maybe an idea that can't be true and then cast God in that image. But I, I, I don't know. I, I just think, I think some people believe, and, and Ramit, if you're listening, I'm not saying this is you by any means, but I think here in the West, there's this real danger that, that people believe that if I want something or believe something, it makes it so. 
And, and I just don't see that being the case. And I'll, I'll go stand next to a whole bunch of coffins is kind of my evidence where people are going, I didn't want this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it is. And it's so. So anyway, yeah. All right. What do we got here? Could you explain false slash redemption with an explanation of original sin? How does sin fit in with original blessings that all of creation is blessing? Thanks. Okay, so can you explain fall and the fall and redemption um, in light of original sin? And l- let me see. I'm going to look over your shoulder here because I want to get this question right. How does it fit in with the original blessings of creation? So it, it sounds like just an original sin question. What's the mm-hmm. fall about? Things like that. Mm-hmm. This is pretty broad. Um, so a lot that can be said. I'm going to try to kind of summarize this um, quick, and hopefully this helps helps you out if you're listening today. The Bible can kind of really be divided, or history, as the Bible puts it, can be divided into basically three major eras. There's what's called before the fall, after the fall, and after Christ comes again when he restores all things. And pretty much all of the Bible between Genesis chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 21, um, including the time that we live in, is talking about during the fall. And the fall is referring to that first rebellion that happened in the Garden of Eden. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 3, where God commanded um, the first people he created, Adam and Eve, not to eat the fruit of a certain tree called the knowledge of good and evil. And they chose to rebel against God, went their own way. And as a result, there's a certain fissure that happens in creation. Um, Adam and Eve become aware of what they've done. They become ashamed of what they've done. They begin to distance themselves from God. Um, God comes in and lays down a number of consequences and curses on creation. And we live in the aftermath of that. In Christian theology, there is this idea that all of us are inherently, as humans, corrupt. Not because God initially intended us to be, but because as a result of that fall, it transmutes down to us, if you will. So the way I like to think about it genetically. Almost. It's a good analogy, I think. So uh, something changed in Adam and Eve, and it's passed down to their offspring, and we live in it to this day. And if you want proof, uh, just see how well you age. See <laughs> what kind of maladies you have. See if you're you're going to dodge death or if you're going to end up someday at the grave. I mean, these are all corruptibility points that were never meant to be a part of who we are. And honestly, just even look at the war, the moral war that we have within ourselves. We all have this, right? This internal conflict between things that are good, things that are evil, things that are right, things that are wrong, things that we want to be about, things that we don't want to be about. We, we even sense it in itself. I don't even think I have to argue for it. But the message of Christianity is not just forgiveness. It's that God actually comes to take that which is distant, that's what the word redeem means, and buy it back or bring it back to him, and then renew it and restore it. That's true for people. That's true for creation. So by Christ's death on the cross, we are forgiven of offenses before God, but we also get a measure of God's spirit that he's going to finally pour out in the totality at the end of days where he is going to renew and restore all creation. So that's kind of the satellite view Mm -hmm. on this. Um, if there's something more specific that I'm not hitting uh, for the listener today, uh, I encourage you to text in 815-314-0363 or post on Facebook and we'll, uh, we'll take it from there. Okay. So real quick, right now, media, we're all familiar with it. If you're mm-hmm. not familiar with it, go download the app. 
but they have something really cool on there. Paul and Maya and I were watching the other night where it's, it's they're <clears throat> basically animating the, the Bible or drawing the Bible as it's from each book of the Bible. It's really cool. Yeah. But of course you go back to this same story uh, or the question that they're asking and you say, okay, well that's fine. However, why would God then create us if he knew that we were going to do this anyway? Because God is all-knowing, and he's eternal, so there is no beginning. There is no end. So what do you say about that? Did it answer it? Did it give its own? I'm, I, I will tell you my answer, but I'm asking you because you're the theologian. Here. <laughs> and I like how you get that little look in your eye. <laughs> that talks about God. <laughs> Uh, why is it that we do that? I, I like All to these push. Tele televangelists are like God, yeah. like three syllables. Right, right. You got it down, man. I got it. I like to push back on, on the it. road okay. um, with this. We got Maya. We got uh, mm -hmm. we got Ben sitting here. Okay. Why'd you and Barbie choose to have Maya? Or maybe this is the conversation where it's like, oops. Um, but why did you guys choose to have Maya? You know, she's gonna die. Why did Tina and I choose to have Ben? Oops. Right. No. No. I'm kidding. I'm. Uh, um, <laughs> Uh, but no, 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 hold on, hold on, because I understand where you're going with that. Yeah. So that's a decision that, but he knew that they were going to fall, right? Sure. So, sure. meaning, um, when he created us, he knew everything was going to happen. Not that he wouldn't create us, but if, we, here's where I think it goes back to. So if, if Adam, Adam and Eve had never done that, right? And they go on to procreate. The world is perfect. Everything continues to right, go on, right? right? But it didn't. But I think that that's probably, if I'm God, mm -hmm. sometimes I try and put myself in his shoes, right? Does it, how, how often? How many times a week does Steve kind of, <laughs> his dad? Yeah, every day. Every day. Okay. It's okay. all the time because I'm supposed to imitate Do, do you have the statue of him in the front mm -hmm. yard? And, he wants one. Yeah. But it's a little shorter yeah. than Mary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's life size. <laughs> Uh, no, but you, you think about it and it's like, well, free will is a good thing, right? So he gave us free will. Well, then that gives us the decision to choose to love him or not follow him, right? Right. right. So that's his reason. That is just clear. Anybody have any other thoughts on that? So you're saying he like intended to make us even though he knew we would mess up? Totally. Okay. Yeah. Maybe there'd just be that one. Kent's got a question. Well, again, the, my issue is that this puts a human aspect to a non-human entity. And we try to, again, package that into our own brain mm -hmm. to go, oh, why did, as if there were true meaning to it. And it, God was sitting there going, well, let's see, on day 355, they're going to go, hey, I'm naked. Yeah, okay, <laughs> let's do this anyway. It's not like writing a play. And that's the, the all-knowing all-being is our humanness to try to put a non-human entity into a human package. So this is a question that why answer? Because sure. However, let me let me give you this because so many people that are either believers or unbelievers, it doesn't matter, will also say, like, well, why would you believe in he's just trying to control you? And it's like, well, from day one at the creation, he didn't control them. I mean, there was free will from day one. They were the ones that chose to go against him, correct? Yeah. I think it assumes something else, too. I think it assumes that the worst possible thing that could ever happen is the world as we know it right now. Mm -hmm. And 
I think it's logical to argue that if God chose to make it despite foreknowledge of what's going to happen, that's greater for some reason sure. or better for some yeah. reason. Yeah. That's also kind of interesting in that we're trying to use human logic mm -hmm. to define the entity that says, you guys don't have a clue what logic is. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Which is true. And and I understand that at the same time, he's given us this Bible that sometimes, you know, isn't logical. <laughs> so so it's like, yeah, yeah, right. But then, you know, obviously we're trying to read that, comprehend it, trying to figure out how it is logical. And so he does give us those things in order to test us, use our brains, try and figure things out. So I, I don't think he just wants us being like here going, well, you know, it is what it is. So I'll just never try and figure it out. And I guess I'll just roam around until yeah. you know, I'm dead. Otherwise, why does God reveal anything? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and again, it's important to remember that these Christian ideas are not coming, are not being created out of people sitting around musing. Mm -hmm. um, Christianity is based on the idea that you can't really know God unless God actually reveals himself. And that we're taking these these snapshots and these glimpses and these things that he said and did. And it's like, uh, yeah, sometimes you want a lot more. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean we should kick out no. what he's given. No. Kind of claim to that. You can think. You can speculate. You can move beyond it. But you always got to come back to it to kind of root you and ground you. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. then it does become just a you know, mental gymnastic game um, and more of our own making than what he actually said about himself. Mm-hmm. Okay, so back to the comments, Ramit got back to us. He says, all the people during Jesus or Krishna life were sent by that nameless and shapeless God to act in the lifetime of the Jesus uh, or Krishna life. They were, they were also angels and were sent to do their respective work, sin or good. So uh, again, you know, Ramit, thank you for the, the ongoing dialogue. And I see the other one too, God is nameless, shapeless, never born, never died. These are, these are theological statements that you're making. And not all religions would agree with those theological statements. So back to the original point, I don't think all religions teach the same thing. Um, the Jewish religion will say that God does have a name and his name is Yahweh, that he isn't actually nameless. And so we have something there where we have to choose which is it, which is right. And hence I, what I think, and I mean it sincerely, the joy of, of, of thinking about God and, and wrestling through theology and coming to understand the true nature of who the divine is and what he's doing in this world. Well, and, and, yeah. and I'll also ask, add, add this too. So for me, like, obviously he's knowledgeable enough to know about all three of these religions so far. So my question is to you, like, where are you getting this information that all gods are the same then? I like, I would, I'm curious to know, how you've come to that conclusion, mm -hmm. if that's something that you yourself are coming to the conclusion, or if that's something that maybe we're missing in the Bible, or we're missing in the Quran, or you name it. But how are you compiling that information to come up with this result? Yeah. That's my yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah, because it could be just, is that just because all those two religions evolved? I mean, they're one offspring off the other. Is that where this is coming from, or did somebody actually do, you know? Well, I, I think just more specifically to Ramit, because let's mm -hmm. interact with his question is, you know, Ramit, thank you. You're, you're making a theological statement. Mm -hmm. What is that based on? And would every other religious persuasion agree with you? Right. And, and I don't think they would. Mm -hmm. um, so hence back to the original issue at hand. 
yeah, let's go to inbox. All right. One here says, was God's command to be fruitful and multiply a command for all or to humanity in general, but not to everyone specifically? I know many people are unable to conceive, but for those who willingly choose not to procreate, are they disobeying God? Yeah, thanks so much for asking. Um, I don't know if you know this. It's actually the first command in the Bible is be fruitful and multiply, which if you think about it, the first command God gives is go have sex. And, and every time people think about God's commands being, um, shall we say, harsh or, or, or overbearing or that God is austere or something like that. I mean, I, I just kind of like to counter with that. I think truly this is a command given to humanity in general, and it is not disobedient to not procreate. Otherwise, Jesus is in a lot of trouble and, and many of the apostles as well. Well, and so, even Jesus said, I wish you could be like me yeah, <laughs> and not have this yeah. toiling of, you know, lust. Yeah. But if you must lust, then go get married and take care of it. So I would say two things as a follow up. If you're not married, God doesn't want you procreating. Mm -hmm. You know, there's kind of an, an order he has here. Get married and then procreate. And if you're unable to procreate, that's not... Um, sinful against God or because you're a sinner or some kind of judgment by God or something like that. Cause I know many people who, who want to have kids desperately and just find themselves unable to, but I also want to give a counter to it. And I want to give this counter in 21st century America where people don't want to be burdened by kids mm -hmm. and people have really adopted, I think an attitude of how do I live for me? as opposed to other people with a choice to not having kids being not always, but sometimes an element of that. I think there needs to be a corrective maybe on that side too, that God actually commanded this as something good. And it's something he wants humanity to generally be involved in. And that doesn't mean I think you have to have as many kids as humanly possible or start as soon as you hit 14 or, you know, any other number of ways that we could spin this oddly. But, but I also think it should be kind of maybe a call to all of us to go, children are always conceived, considered as a blessing by God and something that God wants us to enjoy and something that our primary, a primary part of our life should be revolving around, not a burden or inconvenience to put up with as we pursue our other endeavors. You so, that, kids? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one thing to ask, do you think that like adoption would be like considered kind of like that or would that be like completely different? No, I mean, I do. I, I think you see adoption throughout the Bible. Um, I think adoption is something God delights in. I mean, to take some child who doesn't have parents or parents that can care for him or her properly and to bring it in your family. Absolutely. I think so. I think all kinds of extensions like that. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Yeah. I do truly feel like as humans, we're really made for community, you know, it just, have people around us and just, you know, spread the word of God. And, you know, this, this one way to do it, you know, if it's adoption and just having people around you, I think even just in a normal life, it helps us, all of us, you know, just regular, you know, kind of life. It's just being around people is, yeah. is the way to go. Yeah. I mean, you kind of saw that with the COVID lockdown, um, <laughs> you weren't around people. And right now a lot of people are having issues with that from a mental health standpoint. Sure because they were isolated and that's not how we were meant to live. Yeah. And it's kind of a fascinating change of perspective too. Cause you know, we're going to Thanksgiving here tomorrow and traditionally 
this time when families are getting together and a lot are driving and stuff, there's a lot of people right now that are kind of dreading it. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they don't get along with their siblings or they don't get along with mom and dad or, or vice versa. And like, it's so hard when you find yourself in those situations because it's for very real reasons. But, but how do you force yourself to try to take a different perspective on it and go as aggravating as these people may be in my life, they are a blessing from God in my life. And how do I try to view them as children of God who are a blessing as opposed to someone I got to put up with. Yeah. Yeah. For three hours or a weekend or, you know, whatever it happens to be. So then where do you view a lot of these people that don't have great family relationships, but still hold on to it, even though it might be harmful because it's family? Yeah. I mean, certainly we're talking in generalities here. Yeah. There course. are situations where something is so toxic or abusive or whatever that that truly going separate ways mm-hmm. is, I think, a healthier yeah. option all around. Mm-hmm. But I also know the human tendency to always want to jump on that for yeah. any little diss or any little yeah. you know, offense or or things that we just would rather not deal with. Or mm-hmm. because you know, you, forgiveness is a hard thing to practice. Reconciliation is a hard thing to practice, but God wants us to pursue it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think too, or the you want it, you want that reconciliation reconciliation so badly that you're willing to go through so much and be abused at the pro in the process of doing that. Where it's just like, like you said, mm-hmm. well, and where it fuels something even sinful right. rather than right, yeah, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, then. I'm not saying at all that my family is like that. That's not, it's not. Yeah, but. but I have a friend who has a friend. Yeah. yeah. Asking for a friend. Yeah, so I also the, still feel like, you know, if that happens, because sometimes when people, you know, get hot, like, you know, you know, in friendships and all that kind of stuff, then they kind of block out everyone, you know, and they're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just going to be me this entire time. Yeah. And then that is not going to go well, you know, I, I don't think. I think then, you know, people should really heal from that and really actually go out there and, you know, try to make new friends because there's good people out there. There's a mm-hmm. lot of good people out there, yeah. you know? Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. yeah. Nope, there's no good people out there. We're all yeah. <laughs> You've got a point. All right. What is a deaconess's role at FOF or in the LCMS <laughs> church in general? This is the actual deaconess asking Ask this. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what should I be doing here? <laughs> and do we currently have any? Um, who are the elders of our church? What is their role and how did they get that role? Well, so, you missed Sunday. So you know what? Go back and watch <laughs> Facebook Live and then come back next week and we'll have a chat. <laughs> Great question. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're not the only one asking, right? So if you read the New Testament, you'll see that there are these various positions of leadership within a church. And they have different functions and roles. Sometimes they kind of seem synonymous terms. Sometimes they seem different. There's this one term you come across, deacon. And it's really just transliterating into English, diakonos, which is a Greek word, which literally means servant. So at some fundamental root... A deacon or a deaconess, depending if it's a male or female counterpart, is a servant on behalf of the church. Someone who's there to serve the church in some kind of very intentional way. Because we're all supposed to serve it, right? But but they're dedicating more of their, shall we say, best waking hours of the day to it. Uh, maybe vocationally doing it. Putting themselves in a position of um, leadership or office or position or something like that to lead it. And it can look like any number of things. There's deacons in all different kinds of churches and deaconesses in all different kinds of church bodies. 
from from you know Catholic to Lutheran to Presbyterian, you know, you name it. You know, every stripe probably has it in one degree or another, and it's really left to the local church or denomination to kind of figure out how that role plays out. Uh, it's going to be tailored to the needs. So, like, I know deaconesses. Um, one deaconess I was great friends with dedicated her her full-time work in ministry to caring to people with developmental disabilities. So she'd go into group homes for children and adults alike and do Bible studies and sing songs and play games and minister to the families. Really cool work. Um, I've known other deaconesses or deacons to do prison ministry, and they're going in to serve people in that or, or like homeless ministries, if you will, things of that nature. I've known others to take on more sacerdotal roles. You'll see that in the Catholic Church, where you'll have deacons who are performing weddings and, and assisting with sacraments and, and preaching and leading worship and doing those kinds of things. So it really can be a wide stripe and variety. At Fellowship of Faith, we have an amazing woman. She is 73 years old and beginning her studies in a four-year process to become a deaconess. I, I love it. I, I mean, she's just amazing. She's wanted to do it for years. And she's not hanging up the cleats going, well, I'm in my 70s. God's done with me. She wants to do it. She's going for it. I mean, she, she's actually an inspiration to me in this. And uh, her name is Sally. And, you know, at 73 years old, no offense to our other 70-year-old population out there, but they tend to be a little more tech-challenged than a 20-year-old grad student or 30-year-old, right? And she's I mean, she's having to learn it all, and she's kicking butt on this thing. She isn't a deaconess yet. She's an intern right now. So her formal certification, if you will, comes in about four years. Um, and what it'll look like at that point is really going to be an outcropping in our church um, from her internship experience. Where is she thriving? What does she like to do? Where is she connecting? Where is God really bearing fruit in her life? And we're going to build it right around her. Let's tell you this. There's more work to do than can ever be done. People who want to raise up and say, put me in the game, coach. Let's do it. You're right? in. You're in. You're in. 10 more years, she could be the president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> it's only just beginning. <laughs> I have some comments, but I'll read them. <laughs> so at Velpo, there are, that's where I go to school for anyone who doesn't know. Um, there are sorority Valpo houses. Valpo is, is Valparaiso, Valparaiso University. Yeah. Yeah. Every North time North I hear Indiana. Valpo, I think of a dog food. Yeah, totally. yeah. 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 Valpo, I, I can right. see yeah. that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, I love those commercials. But uh, there's three sorority houses down there, each with a different Greek word on it. And one is diaconia. And I never knew what it meant. And for some reason, Google Translate doesn't know what it means either. And so it finally makes sense. Yeah. It's service. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you got it. You got Making it. Making connections. Well, like, and Matt. Worlds are exploding on the scene. We, <laughs> we have an elder in our presence. Yes. So there's an elder in the house. There's, there's an elder kid. in the house. <laughs> so well, and in Kent, man, I'm blowing you off. You were a an ordained deacon in the Episcopal or Anglican yeah, church, church. In the Episcopal Church. Yeah. So what did it mean in your um, world? We couldn't do the ABCs. So we couldn't absolve, we couldn't bless, and we couldn't consecrate. Okay, but C D E F G H and I man, it's fair game. All right. Right. It's, it's a non stipendary position. Okay. Um, but yeah, you you we're really the, the pastor's right-hand person. And, yeah. you know, whatever your ministry was, whether it was at the hospital or we could marry him and bury him, but couldn't absolve him or bless him. Okay. You know? Did you get to wear a cool robe? I, I've got plenty of cool robes. So you got the bling still. All right. You got to wear them on the show sometime. Yeah, we want to see the bling. Cool. Yeah, and, of course, you know, the, the stole is crooked. 
It's not. The, oh, yeah. yeah, you get the Miss America mm-hmm. style yeah. as opposed yeah. to the double the double yoke kind of. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I there. I've retired those. I don't know, man. You should wear it casually. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be cool. With, with my black socks and sandals. Yeah, totally. Right. <laughs> so then, a second part to this question is related to elders and how are elders different than deacons slash deaconesses and what's their role? How do they get that role? It's a little fuzzy in the Bible. And I always like to go back to the new Testament on this. You see in the new Testament and I'll give you, cause we did a Greek thing and this is kind of an interesting correlation to today too. In Greek, it's called a presbyter. So the Presbyterian denomination is literally named after this word Mm -hmm. and all it translates to is elder or elders and it's generally used and often sometimes synonymous with like pastor and other things as well. And it's basically just a church leadership role. You see throughout the book of Acts and you see Paul talk about this in his letters where like he'll, he'll write to Titus or write to Timothy. He's like, you know, Titus, I left you in Crete because I want you to raise up elders. You got to kind of get the job done there. Make sure they got some leadership in place um, before you, before you kind of jump over to the next city to go preaching. And so since the New Testament era, churches have just realized that there is a need to have some people who are invested with spiritual authority um, to make decisions and help lead the body and and, and assist in the the, the caring and ministry work of the church and all that kind of goes in between. Now, how that translates to any individual church or denomination also varies just like a deacon or deaconess does. Mm -hmm. Everyone kind of identifies it and labels it in their own way. So at Fellowship of Faith, I'm actually the head elder, even though I'm the only ordained pastor on staff. Hmm. And we have about seven or eight elders, Matt, you being one, who I like to call assistant pastors. Okay. But if people get kind of like, you know, because they're not ordained, well then fine, say assistance to the pastor, if, if you need the word two in your life. Right. Um, but functionally, that's kind of what they're doing is they're, they're helping me lead the spiritual health and life of the church. And a lot of what they actually do is, is care and prayer ministry to the people who attend FLF. Right. The care and feeding of the congregation is, you know, that's my number one you know, job description and whatever he tells me to do. Mm. So then Matt, as an elder out of 10, would you recommend it? <laughs> Um, so let, let, let me give you two perspectives. We're going to qualify this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, Matt is 23. So, <laughs> so this was not my first gig as an elder. Mm-hmm. I was an elder much earlier in the history of our church, and I was a young father at the time. Um, being an elder then and being an elder now was completely different. I would say now 10. I would say one of the most elder back there, maybe five. And is that because you're actually old now, Matt? (laughs) And and so you fulfill the job description better? All right. right. Well, and and plus, you know, when I was asked to be an elder, and then a few months later, the pastor resigned. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I spent my first year as an elder with a fill in pastor while we were looking for And then I spent my second year as an elder with a brand new pastor. You know, so, but of course, when I got, I got to break me in, when mm. I got a, a call again to be an elder, two months later, COVID hit. <laughs> no. Maybe not why they keep asking me. Yeah, you know? right? <laughs> but I tell you, you know, and I say yeah. this sincerely, Matt, I mean, you, you've been amazing. You are amazing with it. I mean, it, it shows and 
not only I think your own demeanor, but just in the, the betterment of the church. And I mean, I am praise be to God that you said yes, both these times, because the church needed guys like you helping lead it through these tough transitions. It, yeah. I, I can look back and I was going to say, maybe because I'm older now, um, you know, seeing, and then, you know, you, you see so much and people come to you with prayer requests and things like that. And you can feel for them because you've either experienced it yourself or you know somebody that has experienced it. So mm -hmm. when you're, you know, 31 years old and have two young kids, you know, yeah. haven't experienced quite. Mm -hmm. So Tina's been uploading a lot of our old photos to Google Photos. Mm -hmm. And she's organized, you know, it organizes them by year and you can tag them. We're coming across these pictures from like 2003 when we came to FOF. We were little kids. I, I think you got about 10, 15 years on me. I, I'm not going to ask you to put your age out right now. Probably but, about uh, that, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's like, I, I, I swear, I was 14 or something like that. I, how, how you guys endured that or put up with that or followed that is kind of a mystery to me to this day. Well, it'd be like so, me working with Ben. Yeah, except I'm not like <laughs> taking over the church. Uh, well, I'm just saying as far as like... It, I suppose. I suppose. He's fishing. I suppose. We'll see. All right. Hey, real quick though, before I I, I don't want to leave Ramit hanging okay. here. So yeah. if if we can, let's get that in at least yeah. to make sure that that we. So he just says, I, I don't belong to the above mentioned three religions. I live my life according to Sikhism. Okay. Yeah, uh, I was wondering. Yeah. So it's written the in, in the holy book of Sikhs uh, or Sikhism. But I have read Gita and some part of the Bible in my school textbooks, but I have the same, same one. So duplicates. So my question then, I guess, for me would be, why do you identify as, as, as with Sikhism? Yeah, what is it about being Sikh? And what is, if, that, yeah. if God in general is the same in all of these, then why label yourself or choose to say that you're part of this religion if they're all the same anyway. And so that would be a question that, that I would have for you. Um, and I hope that you can at least join us. If we run out of time, Ramit, I, I hope you can join us next week as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's always yeah, great. love you having on the show. Yeah. yeah. Okay, oh, fantastic. Nice. Okay. Nice. All right. I also all do right. want to mention like something about how all the gods, like gods or whatever you want to say, like aren't the same. How would, so according to like the Quran, um, Allah talked to Muhammad and told him, "I'm." Did he write the Quran, or who wrote the Quran? And so, in Islam, it's a little bit different than how Christianity views the Bible, because in Christianity they view human authors being inspired by God, but it's still a human writing it. Okay. In Islam, it's believed that the Quran was basically given. So Muhammad, being the prophet, received it. And just passed it on, but he didn't sit there and like pen it himself. Well, within that his still life. goes with my view about how could the two like gods be the same if that was just passed down and they're two different, completely like stories from different people and how they view the gods. So, how would it be the same either way? Oh, great question. And the issue is not that God may have come to different people because God clearly has. And, and I don't think that God just reveals himself to Christians mm -hmm. either. I mean, all people are God's children at some kind of basic level and God can reveal himself to whoever he wants and kind of speak to them and help them 
uh, see it. I, I think the question you have to ask is when you look at what the Quran is saying is true about God and compare it to what, let's say, the Bible is saying is true about God, where do they match yeah. and where do they contradict? And where they match, you can go, hey, praise God, right? I mean, how cool. You believe there's one God? We believe there's one God, even though Islam would push back on Christianity and go, yeah, but you believe in a triune God, and that seems kind of like a three-God thing. Mm-hmm. So there's even push there, but but you get the meaning, yeah. right? You get the idea. And I would also like to add, like, if God, like, goes to different people, like you said, which, like, I do believe he goes to different people, there's many different people in the Bible, and if he went to all those people in the Bible, why would he just go to uh, Muhammad and just have him be that one prophet? And, and say something different. Yeah, and say something completely different, yeah. which is mm-hmm. why my point is, like, I don't personally think that they're the same at all, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, great opinion, insight. So. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, too, like, Allah actually means God. Yeah. So, Allah, you can say Allah it's just in Arabic. Christianity, it's, yeah. just, mm-hmm. it's yeah. meaning the same thing. As far as what the definition of the word is. Yes, but I mean, like, in context, like, right. the description and all the other stories, whatever you want to say. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This question is kind of related. Uh, does God still give messages and answers to prayers and dreams and visions? So, like, I know in Bible times, it's easy to read, like, Joseph, for example, interpreting the dreams. How does that correlate? To Absolutely. That? Yes. God still gives messages and answers, I believe, in dreams and visions. This is not something that's widely, I think, practiced or embraced in the West. But if you talk to people who come from the Middle East, I'm friends with a a pastor who grew up in Lebanon, and um, he does outreach now in the DuPage County area of Chicago. His name is Sham. And um, he, he talks about numerous people who are coming to Christ out of Islam often springboarding from some kind of dream or vision. And that's actually been pertinent in his own life. We're friends with the church in Malawi, Africa. And even this past week, you know, we, we, we pray for them and send them our prayer requests. They pray for us and send us their prayer requests. And it's amazing. You saw it even this past week. I mean, the, the amount of people who are being troubled by dreams right now, and they don't just see it as a bad dream to them. They're looking a little bit deeper into that going, what's the spiritual quotient here? And what's the meaning? I mean, I'm curious in Uganda, Paul, yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how much weight that carried in, in your I life think, and culture? I think it does carry a lot, but at the same time, I feel like it's misused to, yeah. to a certain point that now, you know, because I don't think everyone's going to, you know, see God or hear from God the same way as everyone does. You mm-hmm. know, but when someone gets a dream and then another one gets a dream now, they, you know, it tends to be like, oh, I think it's the same thing, you know, and it's now generalized than really kind of being specific, you know, and so it's like, Everyone thinks they have they hear from God in in different dreams, and sometimes I think it's just sometimes it's our consciousness, you know, in those dreams, and it's really not sure something from God. So it can be overplayed uh-huh. or overread as much as it can be underplayed and underread. And I think the navigating principle through this is I don't think it's wise to deny that. God can speak or does speak maybe in these mediums at times and places where he chooses. But in Christianity, it always comes down to how do you measure what's actually true when you have either competing claims, different claims, or different ideas. And the message of Christianity has been compared against the Bible. Even though the Bible is 
a collection at times of dreams and visions. Um, Peter, Paul, John, I mean, the prophets of old. The book of Revelation is literally a vision <laughs> um, that he's writing down and then crafting that into a, into a letter. But it gets dangerous when you start trusting your dream, if it's starting to say something different than what God has revealed in Christ or through the deposit of wisdom through the apostles and stuff like that. So you always got to kind of do that comparative game, but no, can God use that powerfully to nudge you in directions or awaken you to, to what God is saying? Yeah, I think absolutely. Or is Satan the author of my dream? Last that's, night? I was and that can be like too. That. And that's why you got to test it. Mm-hmm. You got to test the dreams, just like I got to test what you read and test what you hear. Yeah. And what am I testing it against? Can't test it against just what I think that gets very dangerous Christians have always looked outside of themselves to the teachings of Christ and the prophets and yeah. the apostles. I know we got to wrap it up. However, yeah. let me just go back to Ben's. Like, how long has this been going on? I remember like when we were back in, in Nebraska, my, I don't know if you remember this at all, but Dr. Mark Christian, which who he had changed his name to Christian, was used to be Muslim, was part of the, the Muslim Brotherhood and now has a lot of death threats ongoing against him yeah. all the time. Yeah. But even there, you know, he was mentioning 15 years ago that a lot of his friends and family members were Jesus was coming, showing himself mm. in dreams to them. So mm. it was very exciting for him because yeah. it was more affirmation for him that yeah, well, I'm, we're in the right spot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. If you'd like, we could pick up with some of the dreams next week, but we're out of time for today's show. Really want to thank all of you for tuning in, all of you for listening. And if you miss our shows live, you can catch all of them on any of your favorite podcast providers We recommend going to fellowshipoffaith.org. Go to the Fellowship of Faith or the FOF Plus page, and you will find um, the complete archive of this show's and other shows right there. Apple, Spotify, you name it, they'll carry it too. We go live every Wednesday afternoon at 12.30 p.m. Central Time. We'll be on again um, this coming December. It's coming up quick, although I guess next Wednesday is still November, isn't it? Well, all right, all right. Day of grace there. Anyway, God's blessings to you. Text those questions in anytime to 815-314-0363. If we did not get to it today, it is in our inbox, and we will get to it soon. We're out of here. Happy Thanksgiving. Church, you have a